I always say that I'm working both in real time and three years in advance because it's absolutely the truth. You know, every once in a while, a guest comes along in a, a space in an industry that I'm wholly unfamiliar with. And it makes me even more excited because I don't know anything about their business and nothing about how social or frankly, anything else in that industry runs. Uh, and today's guest is no exception. Uh, Taylor Spear from Shiseido. What an impressive, uh, impressive human, just uh, the complexity at which, which a global brand like Shiseido is the world's first beauty brand, 150 years old, 151 years actually, uh, how they continue to evolve and, and use social to uh, really help push their brand story uh, forward. Yeah, such a cool story. Um, everybody, today we are speaking with, as you already heard, Taylor Spear, who is the manager of global social media for Shiseido. As Daniel mentioned, Shiseido is 151 years old, which is crazy. They've always been this amazing prestige brand. Um, and when I was back in the beauty industry, they also were prestige and just always revolutionizing things and, and evolving and growing. And it's so impressive to see what they're doing today because it just is so cool how they continue to stay relevant across generations and across different cultures. Like it really, really is such a great social uh, conversation that we're having today. So I loved it. It's great. Taylor has a ton of advice and insights. Um, and also one of my favorite parts is that she still uses Excel to manage massive amounts of information, which I just love. Yeah, we're excited for the conversation. But before we get into the show today, we highly recommend you go check out our amazing show sponsor, ICUC. Uh, ICUC are experts in online and social media community management, and they are here to remind the world that there are real humans like Taylor behind brands. Communities don't manage themselves. It requires strategy, goal setting, and understanding your audience. And the team at ICUC wrote a guide to help you think through community management. You can get it at bit.ly slash ICUC community. And while you're there, you can schedule a free consultation with a member of their team. That's bit.ly slash ICUC community, all one word, lowercase. And now this week's episode with Taylor Spear, head of global social media at Shiseido. Social Pros listeners, we are reaching deep into the recesses of my brain today on a uh, former life that I had far before Convince and Convert. I actually worked in the beauty industry on the corporate side for a little bit. And let me tell you, if you take a look at anything in the beauty industry, especially social media, you are probably going to think that it's a lot of fun and games that it's a lot of getting to play with beauty products all day, that it's coming up with really fun, creative campaigns. And you're half right on that. But the other thing that I think a lot of people don't know, unless they've worked in the beauty industry on the corporate side, is that it is also just as high pressure as some other industries that we've talked to, especially on social pros. You are working on campaigns sometimes as far as two years out, depending on what your um, scientists are formulating for skincare. You are trying to race against that clock to get holiday um, shipments out the door and promote them. You are working with influencers 24-7. There is so much behind the scenes that we don't see, especially when it comes to the social media side. 
It is an always-on industry, and I am so excited that we get to talk to an absolute social pro today. She is Taylor Spear, Manager, Global Social Media for Shiseido. Taylor, welcome to the show. So, so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Yes, we are going to dig into a lot of some of the things I teed up there, Um, but it's been a long time since I've been in the beauty industry. I'm still a massive, massive fan of all things beauty, including Shiseido, and I still pay attention to everything. But even in the last like seven-ish to 10 years, it is insane how competitive the space has become. I mean, we've always had a ton of beauty brands out on the market, but especially with just the explosion of Sephora and you know, when I was doing the marketing side of beauty, there wasn't nearly as many, like Fenty wasn't around, uh, Rare Beauty, like you literally are competing with celebrities now. So from the Shiseido perspective, how are you breaking through all of that competition? Because social media is the place to be for all beauty brands right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really interesting question. And one that we ask ourselves constantly is, how do we cut through the noise? And at Shiseido, I think our unique advantage is that we are literally 151 years old. So we have all this heritage, all this innovation, science and technology behind us, which a lot of these indie beauty brands, these celebrity beauty brands coming onto the scene don't have. So I think that positions us really uniquely in the space and that we can say that we've been doing this for 151 years. And I think that's a really powerful, powerful message to tell the consumer. And that and coupled with the fact that we are a Japanese brand and the Japanese are known for meticulous attention to detail, formulation and reformulation, trial and error and trial and error again. Uh, We have products that have been in formulation for two, three years, over 400, 500 iterations of the same formula just to achieve the unique end result that delivers the formula, the finish, the active ingredients, um, all in one potent formula. So I think that that's really where we need to live and how we need to position ourselves in this space. I mean, you see a celebrity beauty brand and they're backed by a celebrity who is kind of surprising. You, you wouldn't expect that celebrity to have a beauty brand because they don't necessarily have any authority or it doesn't feel like they have any authority in the space. Um, so I think that having that, that heritage and 151 years of, of science and innovation behind us really puts us in a super unique place. And it's fun as a social manager to be able to tell that story. So it's interesting that uh, you, you kind of brought up uh, and Anna brought up the fact that you are in some ways competing with some of the celebrity brands who have certainly a, a, noto- a notoriety and a following all to themselves. But in in many cases, uh, I don't know specifically for Shiseido, but at least in the in the, the industry overall, some of those those celebrities used to be the influencers who helped you kind of mm-hmm. uh, propel product and and messaging forward. So. I know you do a ton of work, uh, she said, with influencers and the depth that you with 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 which you kind of approach that process. It's far more than just, hey, let's send you some product and see how you see how you react to it. And a couple of campaigns that you referenced that just had so much depth to them. And I was wondering, you know, as things have changed and and some of those former sort of partners have become competitors in some cases. 
Uh, maybe again, not for Shiseido specifically, but how has your approach to what an influencer means to you and how you work with them ha- uh, has changed? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you ask any major brand this question, they will tell you that the way they approached influencers is totally different than maybe even a few years ago. I think that creators are increasingly being seen as partners as opposed to, you know, a contract. And creators can really, really have a say into how your brand is presented on social media, how people receive your brand on social media. And so I think that it's really so, so important to choose the right creators and to choose the right partners. And to not only engage those people in short-term contracts where they may create one or two videos, but to actually engage them in long-term contracts where they're creating consistent content over time, where they're telling our brand story oftentimes outside of what's contractually obligatory for them to post. Uh, And I think that in kind of nurturing this partnership and this relationship with the influencers and creators and makeup artists that we contract, um, it allows us to really tell our brand story far and wide in a really beautiful way. And it allows them to kind of speak in their own voice and tell our brand story through their lens to their audience. Um, Because we can tell our audience the same thing over and over and over again, and they may not receive it well, because of course, we're going to say that we're the brand. Uh, But when we work with influencers and creators who are genuinely passionate about our brand, who have worked with us for a long time, who create consistent content over time, whose values align with our own, and they're consistently spreading our message and speaking to their audience, you know, that their audiences are as we know, fiercely loyal to the creators whom they follow, and they're much more likely to listen to them. So we kind of now see creators as an extension of our brand, and and we really treat them as such. You know, we go get lunch with them. Um, we we meet them face to face. We are in constant contact with a lot of our creators' agents, and so it's it really is very much very much a partnership. And and in vetting influencers. Uh, we take it very seriously as well in terms of brand values, um, any brand safety risks or concerns, and and we really vet them super thoroughly. I will say, I think out of any brand that we've talked to that really works with influencers, that is like the most thorough, and I'd hate to almost call it like a, like a business partnership, but like in a mm-hmm. good way. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it is really, I love that you see them as your partners. It's not just this person with a lot of clout or a huge following that we're going to get to promote. And then our brand is going to go somewhere. Like, I love that perspective that you have on, we're going to take them out to lunch as if they were uh, and like another office coworker that we work with mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. Like we are yeah. going to work with them on so many different things. In I just love that approach. And that's not something that you hear a lot. Can you dive a little bit deeper into how that has really helped you see different results than say somebody who just does this all through email and is like, hey, can you create X pieces for us? We'll pay you X dollars and here's the contract. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that social media users are relatively savvy and it's very easy to see through a partnership that's just not a fit. Uh, I, I mean, I think we've all come across ads on social media where we it just seems canned. It seems scripted. It feels really inauthentic. You can tell that the creator has never used the product or has maybe only used it once, but they're really in it for the contract. And I've talked to creators who have said that they've taken contracts without even being 
you know, fully sold on the product and it shows. And so they, you know, mistakes they made in their early stages that now they won't anymore. Um, but I think that it's really transparent when, when the partnership is just not a fit. So again, going back to that vetting process and seeing, you know, can we give them product and can they try it not for just a few days, but come back to us in six to eight weeks and tell us how you like the product. How did you like the formula? How did it sit on your skin? Can you speak authentically to it in your own words? Can you write a script for this video about this product uh, that's in your voice that you feel that will resonate uh, with your audience? And it's it's about nurturing that relationship and kind of building, going from product love to brand love, to making them lovers of your brand and making them spokespeople for your brand uh, because they love it so much and they want to talk about it. 100%. You can absolutely tell the difference. And I think we've all even just seen this as we've been, you know, on our just on our feeds in any social platform that we're on, especially on TikTok, especially in the beauty space. I've seen mega beauty influencers who like, it seems like every fifth TikTok, they are promoting a different um, product from a different company because it's clearly paid, which again, I have no qualms or issues with people being paid for the reviews that they're doing or being paid for partnerships. But it's when like it's a different brand every fifth TikTok mm -hmm. and you're just sort of like, eh, all right, like, are you really being legit about this? Or are you just taking the money, which is fine? Like, again, you know, you're a creator, you're an entrepreneur, that's fine. But it does is like water down the messaging and the meaning. Like you can really tell when it's forced or if it's just straight paid promotion. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. It is very apparent. And and it's not just apparent to me as a social manager. I think it's it's apparent to everyone. So it's uh, it, it's a unique challenge that we come across. Uh, and of course, it takes more time and more investment to seed product to these influencers and nurture and build the relationship. But I think that the end result is so much more impactful and it's such a better investment of, of budget and time uh, to have those meaningful relationships. 100%. Absolutely. And I think you can see it in Shiseido's content, in all of your social content. I really do applaud you for the work that you and the team are doing. It just is so relatable on so many levels. I love how you don't just focus on having representation across the board in terms of um, people with different skin colors or different backgrounds, but you do generational, like you do representation in every single possible way, but it never feels forced. It never feels inauthentic. It never feels like it's part of a campaign. And I think, again, even hearing your insight into how you work with influencers and making it a partnership when your values, it very much connects. And now I'm seeing a much bigger picture about just how much I think Shiseido's internal culture is really present, truly, mm -hmm. on your channels. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for saying that. That is, to me, honestly, the highest compliment. I remember when I was interviewing at Shiseido and I mentioned that diversity and representation in social media was always my number one priority because it genuinely means a lot to me. And I think that, you know, it's something that we... It's something that we do, but it feels intrinsic to our strategy. It's not like we go out and intentionally intentionally contract an Asian creator, for example, or you know, a Black creator, for example. It's just we contract creators who happen to be Black or happen to be Asian or happen to be 75 or happen to be 21. 
Um, and so it doesn't feel so overt when we're working with these people. It's just a natural part of our strategy. Um, and so I think that, and I also have to give kudos to our influencer manager who works very closely with with me and the rest of the team to source all of our influencer creator partnerships. She works on all of our brand ambassador contracts, all of our makeup artist relationships. And, you know, she does a beautiful job as well of selecting a pool of candidates that are diverse. And so when we put out content into the world, it's just, it is diverse because it was intrinsically so because her network of people that we, that we built over the years is, is diverse. So uh, we work really, really hard. And I think beauty is also a space where diversity is becoming paramount. You're seeing, you know, men wearing makeup now. You see all different ages and sizes and skin tones and ethnicities. And there's so much representation across the board in the beauty industry. A lot of brands are working with a lot of diverse creators. And beauty lends itself really beautifully to showcasing diversity. I mean, makeup is all about self-expression. And so when you tie that together with a diversity story and a diverse group of creators and this cast of characters who is from all different walks of life and backgrounds and all different ages, um, I think it's it's really beautiful. And if you're not doing it, it also um, people notice. Absolutely. And I think to brands, to your point, think about diversity, equity and inclusion in just a very narrow, specific way. And I think a lot of brands are very much thinking in terms of like, okay, we need to represent multiple different cultures and multiple different people, but it's really, they stop so short of where, what really truly makes up diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And also, as a side note, for anybody who, um, you bring up the fact that men are wearing makeup, absolutely. And anybody who like kind of takes pause at that, I would also just like to mention that it was at one point illegal for women to wear pants. So Maybe we can sort of break out of some of these these fake societal norms and start to look past and really start to think about diversity, equity, inclusion in a much different way. Because I know, like, it's it's makeup, it's expression, it's skincare. Like, none of these things are for one type of person. So I just appreciate that you you do flow that story from very much your culture perspective outward into your social channels, and it really is present. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's so important. And, you know, the the diverse cast of creators that we work with, they're all, you know, we we don't do it to put them into a bucket or fulfill a bucket or fulfill a requirement. We don't approach our creator strategy by saying we need one dark skinned person, one Asian person, one male. You know, we just kind of cast a wide net and look at whom we have relationships with, our existing partners, who we can source. And then we also explore new opportunities. Is there anyone new coming onto the space? Any new beauty creators who are kind of up and coming uh, who might be interesting to partner with? And then how do we initiate that relationship? Let's send them some product. Let's open up the channel of communication. Let's see what they think of the brand and, and see if they like it and see if we might be able to work together in a larger capacity. And we also don't work only with large influencers. We also work with some pretty small names. You know, we work with nano, micro, mega influencers all across the board. So whether you have some people have 10,000 followers and we would take that as an opportunity to white label their content and and use it on our own channels for brand awareness 
or we'll contract a mega influencer who has, you know, one, two million followers, um, but we'll contract them to post on their page so that they can speak to their audience and it's more of a reach play. Uh, but we we definitely don't discriminate uh, against, you know, influencers who have smaller or larger followings either, understanding that no matter the size of your following, that you can still have an impact and there is a place for both large and, and small creators within our strategy. Uh, this is something we do uh, on the podcast uh, all the time, actually, when when we have guests share some of their, their upfront information, just kind of their name and title and some background information. We also ask in there uh, about, you know, do you, can you think of anyone who you think should be on the show? And I'm curious if you if you kind of do the same thing with your with your influencers, do you when you find uh, partnerships and relationships that, that just really for whatever reason, just kind of work for you. Either it was just a great product and influencer fit, or it was a great product and community fit. Uh, do you do you kind of reach back out to them and say, hey, you know, maybe too soon for us to work together again? Maybe not. Uh, can you think of anyone who who comes to mind who uh, you can introduce us to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and oftentimes that'll happen with you know a certain creator. I think the beauty creator community is relatively interconnected. So at times they might say, I have this individual who might be an interesting fit or we'll receive an email from an agent who is wanting to make an introduction. And so we certainly are, are open to referrals as well. And I mean, of course, we we also look at what other beauty brands are doing. I think that beauty industry, uh, we we are all constantly looking at each other, whether we like to admit it or not. And, you know, we, we do look at what other big beauty brands in this space are doing, who they're contracting. And um, it's a great kind of litmus test to see how did their content resonate with their audience? Did the content do well? What's the sentiment on those posts? Are people engaging with it positively? Um, is this creator resonating with their community? And do we feel like there are synergies between their community and ours? Is this, you know, potential source of a partnership? And it also works in the opposite direction, right? If, if a brand contracts a creator and it's a disaster, or if there's a lot of negative sentiment around it or press, then we might say, oh, we might want to avoid working with that creator in particular and kind of take a step back and and learn from what other brands are doing. And I think there's something to be said about, you know, being a fast follower and looking at what other brands are doing. And if it was successful, maybe hopping on, hopping on the wave. Um, and not necessarily replicating what they did, but taking what they did, looking at it, what was successful, why was it successful, and then how we how can we apply it ourselves? I love that. And I think some of the ways that you all kind of replicate some of that, not even from a competitor standpoint, but just some of the way you jump on those waves. Obviously, everybody go take a look at Shiseido's TikTok. You all do a great job of incorporating like the latest, you know, TikTok audio and, you know, jumping on some of those bandwagons that really feel right from a Shiseido perspective. So um, again, kudos to that because you work it in really, really well. Um, but in terms of kind of zooming out into your your bigger social approach. Obviously, we've been talking about influencers, which you use across all channels. But in terms of your actual approach, like as we mentioned before, timelines in beauty, cosmetic, skincare, it's really wacky. And even as you mentioned, you know, like you could be working on campaigns that are two years out or at least like starting to get an idea for them, depending on like a major product launch. So how do you kind of structure your approach internally to planning your social content and actually getting into the nitty gritty of edit, you know, creating an editorial calendar? Because obviously there are going to be 
sort of your major product launches, right, which are probably going to take precedence over things. But then also, too, you have day to day, but then also you have micro campaigns in there and then you have influencers like there is so much to keep track of in mm-hmm. any given day, in any given quarter. And then, of course, you're also trying to plan for like, I don't know, it's we're recording this in June. You're probably talking about you're beyond Christmas at this point, I'm sure. So mm-hmm. well, beyond. <laughs> walk us through your editorial process and how you juggle all of those crazy different timelines, demands, layers. It's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. I always say that I'm working both in real time and three years in advance because it's absolutely the truth. So we plan product launches. I think we're at the end of 25 at this point. So all of our campaign planning through autumn, winter 25 is pretty much firmed up. But social media moves so, so quickly. And in 24 hours, everything could be different. So it's also looking at our social calendar on a month-by-month basis. I only plan four weeks in advance and looking at, does this, ca- does this content work? And how can we make it work? And do we need to change things around? Do we need to shift priorities? Um, how can we fit all of these conflicting moving pieces together? Maybe there's a skincare launch that I need to program, but there's also a makeup creator partnership that needs to go live. And maybe there's also some filler content. We have what we call sustained production. So it's anything that's not newness, but we produce social content to sustain our calendar between newness. So um, there's also those pieces that kind of fit in and fill where needed. And I'm planning that on a rolling basis, on a month by month basis, and trying to be as nimble as possible. And, And especially Um, In the social media world now, I feel like trends is such a buzzword and being able to hop on trends. And that's something that we really think of in particular when it comes to TikTok, because TikTok moves so quickly and the platform pretty much happens in real time. And so we actually have to allocate within our TikTok calendar, you know, trend related content. And we often won't know what that looks like until the day of or maybe the day before it goes live. So we have to think, um, you know, both long term in terms of strategic planning around new campaigns, new launches, but also very, very near term, short term in terms of optimizing the feed, adjusting priorities, but then also being able to be nimble and to hop on that trend forward content. That is so much. I feel like I can't. I can barely manage my like day-to-day calendar. Like I, <laughs> I, and also social pros listeners, I wasn't joking at the start. It is a totally different beast in terms of like just social everything when it comes to this world. It's a totally different world. It's totally different in terms of like timing and scheduling. And then you're also working with scientists, but then also marketing. And like, it's so crazy. Like that doesn't even... Taylor, account for all the different meetings you have internally about the messaging on all Mm -hmm. of those things. So in terms of like stakeholders that you have to work with, you know, obviously I had mentioned like the scientists who are actually formulating things. And then you also have like your global marketing department, like how many other people are involved in this process, at least in terms of not just the social day to day, but in terms of like also meeting and scheduling and coordinating this bigger, massive Shiseido story for social. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of internal stakeholders. So uh, I work very closely. I sit under the communications function, uh, which houses communications, PR, influencer, social and digital. 
but I also work very closely with our global marketing teams across skincare, sun care, and makeup. They're really heavily involved in, you know, the analytics of the product mix and SKU priorities across markets. And so I work with them very closely. Also work with e-com, for example, who are, you know, optimizing our landing pages and tracking sales and Google Analytics and how that all ties back into social. So asking e-com what kind of sales our social channels are driving. If there's any content in particular that's driving more sales than others, what are our hot SKUs this month? Working with digital to ensure that our landing, opti- our landing pages are optimized for social and that our social assets tell a cohesive story with our landing pages and that also our social post cadence aligns with our email blast cadence and that we're telling a cohesive story that makes sense. Um, and and also working with marketing to align on SKU priorities, you know, which shades are being discontinued and when are they being discontinued and can we shoot these as part of our next social sustain production or when do we have to stop talking about them on social media? Uh, so there's constantly just a lot of conflicting priorities at times um, and a lot of things to constantly keep track of, but it certainly keeps me on my toes and keeps life exciting. And um, it's a lot, but I also think it's it's kind of a fun challenge. Yeah, the entire beauty industry is not for the faint of heart. Um And, you know, it is, of course, those super fun moments of, you know, getting to test out the latest product or getting like a cool new product that doesn't even have branding on it yet because it's like straight from the lab. But yeah, it is crazy how much people don't realize goes into um, this role specifically within this specific industry. It is just so unlike any other industry. Um, And yeah, again, your approach on the... If for anybody on the outside looking in, Shiseido's approach looks seamless. So it is everything that you just walked us through, you would never guess was all the chaos in the background because it always comes off so beautiful um, and is just executed so well. So um, I think you you are perpetuating the stereotype that it is just so easy <laughs> by making it look so easy. Thank you. I, I really do my best. It's a lot behind the scenes. I tell people about my job and I never quite know how to describe what I do. And there really is no such thing as a typical day. Every day feels different. And yes, like you mentioned, it is all the flashy things like getting to try a new product and getting all this behind the scenes information on new product formulation, you know, years before it actually goes live to the public and, you know, getting to be hands on and being on set for productions and meeting our creator community and working with our ambassadors And all of those are great and fun, but there's also a lot of planning and technicalities on the other side of that that actually requires a huge time investment, a lot of organizational skills, and a lot of planning. Absolutely. Any um, organizational approach that you would recommend for social pros that maybe even aren't even at this level organization, but is there anything that helps you keep just sane in the day-to-day between going from two years out to 30 seconds in on a post? Um, or a campaign, anything that you found has just worked wonders in terms of of calendaring or organization? Yeah, I mean, I live and die by two things, and that is Microsoft Excel and Asana. So um, I keep, I mean, all of my calendaring, all of my planning, everything happens in Excel. I have an Excel template that is quite literally color-coded, 
planned out every single day, morning and evening. We publish, you know, two posts per day on Instagram. We post about three times a week on TikTok, once once a week on YouTube. So everything being centralized in one place, all of the links, the content, the copy, any notes. Is there a cover photo that needs to be uploaded to this reel? Who needs to be tagged? What credits need to be attributed? What are the product tags for shop? Uh, everything is in one place. So um, I, I live and die by my spreadsheets and I keep everything organized there. It's one, my one central point of truth for all things social so that I can keep track of what's happening and what's going live. Uh, and if anything needs to be troubleshooted, I refer back to that spreadsheet. And then in terms of my day-to-day tasks and what needs to happen, uh, I really love Asana and because I can just create tasks. I mean, Truth be told, we don't even use Asana as an organization at Shiseido. I have a personal Asana account that I use uh, for all of my tasks, and I just create a task with what needs to happen. I can attach files, notes, comments, and I get a really holistic view of you know what I need to do for the day and what needs to happen. Um, and any content that's pending or incoming, I can create a separate task for that. So um, that's also really helpful in terms of of my organization and helps keep me sane. Uh, that's actually something I'm always curious to ask, uh, particularly uh, social pros like yourself operating at at such a high capacity in such a global a global organization. How do you how do you manage all of it? And I'm I'm both surprised and delighted to hear you say uh, Microsoft Excel was a bit part of your life because we, I mean, on uh, for us on the consulting side of of our work, clients ask us all the time, like, what's the best, what's the best editorial calendar software? I'm like, well, to be fair, I think Excel probably is going to be the most viable solution, widely used in your enterprise, uh, and. Many, many have tried and failed to come up with better solutions than that for for keeping content calendars fresh. But that just seems to be the one that that people use for better or worse. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it really is that simple, right? Uh, You think that there's some big flashy tool out there that exists that can just do everything. And it's really just Microsoft Excel. So, (laughs) I mean, I also have a business background. I, I have my MBA and we were Excel was drilled into our brains in grad school. So um, as a business student, I basically lived and died by Excel. So maybe that's a contributing factor, but I really do feel like just creating my own template in Excel that uniquely fits my needs and has all the information that I need in one place is really the most beneficial and helpful way to do it. Um, I agree. I also love Excel. I also personally use Asana. Um, seriously, Social Pros, they they have a free Asana version as well. You don't even have to have like the big paid version. Mm-hmm. I use the free version. It is amazing. It's for me, it's a glorified checklist, but I love it. I can keep track of everything. So I agree. Taylor, thank you so much for being on the show. I swear this has flown by. And if if anybody out there is thinking about getting into the beauty space and especially beauty cosmetics, um, skincare, go follow Taylor um, everywhere right now. Well, first off, go follow Shiseido on every single social channel, just at Shiseido, which Taylor, by the way, how you all just got that uniform name across everything, whoever works some magic, um, that's awesome that you got that handle across everything, just at Shiseido across everything, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why 151 years in the industry will get you, right? We've been around for a long time. Exactly. Leverage that seniority. 
Um, yeah, so everybody go follow at Shiseido on every single platform. We'll, of course, link it in the show notes. And then, Taylor, if anybody wants to connect with you personally, where can they find you? Sure, you can find me um, on LinkedIn, Taylor Spear, or you can follow me on Instagram at Tay Spear. Nice. All right, everybody, go follow Taylor. Uh, you can get even more behind the scenes um, industry insights from her um, and connect with her. Um, and then also see all the beautiful work she and everybody else are doing um, on social. Um, Taylor, of course, before we officially let you go, you know that we have to ask you the same two questions that we have asked all 560 plus guests this show. I don't, I think we're at about that number somewhere around there. We're approaching 600. That's all I know. But are you ready for the final two? Yes. All right. Question number one, if you could give anybody who wants to become a social pro a piece of advice, what would it be? So I think that my biggest takeaway from working in social is that failure is inevitable. You're going to have posts that flop. You're going to have creator partnerships that don't resonate. You're going to make mistakes. Not all of your content is going to be a top performer. And that's okay. You have to learn to live with failure and learn to be accepting of it. But I think that the biggest fallacy when it comes to failure is that social media managers and marketers in general don't take the time to understand why. And I think that's the biggest mistake that you can make in social media marketing is not failing. Failing isn't the mistake, but it's not taking the time to understand why. And looking at why a post didn't perform well and really sitting with it and trying to understand what didn't resonate. Look at the comments, look at the sentiment, uh, look at what people are saying, take the time to listen to your audience and really understand why it didn't do well. Uh, because if you understand why it didn't do well, why it flopped, why it failed, then you can build on that in the future and you can learn to avoid your mistakes. So I, I think that's Probably the most important thing and, and the number one piece of advice that I would impart on anyone looking to get in, into social media or even, you know, marketing more broadly. Fail with intention, some, what someone once said to me. Uh, and that, that is something I've, I've carried through my career and I've definitely put to, put to practice a few times. Uh, but it, uh, as long as you, you keep a good attitude about it, that's a great, that's a great, that's a very good tip. Uh, okay, second question for you. If you could have a video call with any living person, who would it be? So it's a tough question, but I think I would have to go with Michelle Obama. Um, I've always really admired her for reasons totally outside of, of social media or work or anything related to my career. I just feel like she's such a strong and inspiring female character. Uh, she's done such amazing work in the community. She's consistently giving back. Um, and, and she just, you know, I, I can't imagine that I would have a conversation with Michelle Obama and it would go poorly. Or, you know, they say never meet your icons, but I, I have a strong feeling that if I actually met Michelle Obama, she would be everything that I dreamed of and more. So um, that, that I'll have to go with, with Michelle as my answer. Uh, she probably would be just as much an icon after you meet her as before, if not more so. I would think... Uh, she just uh, she's someone who seems to show up for every conversation that she that she has, which is uh, a rare it's really a rare thing to to see in people. Yeah, that and I feel like she's having such a resurgence lately in terms of her wardrobe and her style. And she's kind of reclaiming this youthful style that 
we don't really see with a lot of quote unquote older figures or celebrities. And I really just respect and admire so much that she's taking risks with her fashion and she's, you know, willing to make a statement and and kind of go against the grain and open herself up to probably a bit of negativity for it. But I've just always really admired her and and what she stands for. And, you know, being a powerful black woman in in this country today is not for the faint of heart. I can't speak from experience, obviously, but um, I just I just really, really have have so much respect for her and everything she does. And I kind of want her arm workout routine. So. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, the famous the famous Michelle Obama arms. (laughs) I, uh, I've learned a ton about the beauty industry today. Thanks to the two of you. Um, uh, Taylor, thank you so much for being part of the show, being here this week. We are, it's been a delight learning about just really the depth and the, and the breadth of what social means at Shiseido and how you, uh, how you bring this to life. It's really an impressive feat of Excel wizardry, but uh, creativity too. And, uh, uh, appreciate the behind the scenes glimpse. And Social Pros listeners, thanks for being here for another week. We hope this is your favorite podcast in the whole world and that you'll join us again next week for another episode. See you then.